With the holiday season ramping up now that we're in December, I want you guys to consider Indochino Custom Menswear. It's the perfect gift for the husband, son, brother, or any special guy in your life that you really want to blow the doors off this Christmas. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and everything else, and it's made to your exact measurements for a great fit. And it's really nice that the process is super simple. You just choose your fabric, pick your customizations, and submit your measurements. The package will be delivered straight to your door in just two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or you can do it all yourself online at Indochino.com. Right now, you can get $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is always free. That's Indochino.com promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse this holiday season to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Blue Wire. The San Diego Chargers select Joey Bosa. Oh, here comes Bosa! The Los Angeles Chargers select Derwin James. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Powder Blue Review. I am your host, Michael Peterson, and I truly wish that this episode was, you know, to celebrate a victory Monday, to celebrate a win against the divisional rivals Denver Broncos, and I wish I could say that we didn't just get swept by the Denver Broncos, a team that was 3-8 and eight in our game. Now they're tied with the Chargers at the same record, 4-8. and eight. We are, I believe, now at the bottom of the division, officially at the bottom of the AFC West, now with a loss to the Broncos. The Chargers are 0-4 in the division, and I honestly cannot see them winning another game in the division. At this point... The team has four games left. They play the Jaguars, the Vikings, and then have another matchup with the Raiders and the Chiefs. Now you look at that and the team's four and eight. Okay, To stop Anthony Lynn from receiving his first losing record as an NFL uh, head coach or just head coach of the Chargers, pardon me, um, they'd have to win out. And uh, there's just no way in hell. Before the Broncos game coming away from the bye, I thought, hey, they could potentially beat the Broncos and the Jaguars. And I just didn't think, you know, against the Raiders, Chiefs, or Vikings was possible. But here they are, already lost one of the games that I thought they actually had a good chance of winning. And yeah, they're four and eight. But before we get into, you know, into all of that, I know I could just start start the show right here and now. Um, but as always, a little bit of a show rundown. We're gonna talk about the Broncos game talk about some key themes, some things that stood out, players that stood out, obviously, um, and just kind of the biggest takeaways we can get, any silver linings whatsoever maybe we can find. We will go over Serger Static Players of the Week, any injury reports, and uh, yeah, that kind of does it. Uh, short and sweet show, as always, um, just getting you guys the info that you want, especially following, um, obviously, the most recent game. So, Without further ado, guys, we're just going to head right into the show. The Chargers dropped their latest game to the Denver Broncos 23-20 on a last-second 53-yard field goal by Denver kicker Brandon McManus, and it completed the sweep 
for the Denver Broncos. I don't remember the last time the Broncos swept the Chargers. I think it was probably 2015, that year they went to the Super Bowl. Um, I may or may not be a year off, but it's been a handful of years. The Chargers have, you know, spent the last couple of years being one of the top dogs in the AFC West, if not, uh, you know, second the last two years behind the Kansas City Chiefs. But as things stand, that is just not the case anymore. And what's obviously incredibly frustrating about this loss was the Chargers found another way to lose a game that, let's just say, if beforehand you asked someone, hey, what's a crazy, like a realistic, but like a crazy way that the Chargers could lose this game against the Broncos? And I don't think anybody would come up with, hey, the Chargers come down and, and tie the game with uh, less than 30 seconds left on the clock. And the obviously the Broncos will probably have no time left barring a long uh, kick return or something like that. And the Broncos come out and decide to go four wide and just chuck the ball downfield to Cortland Sutton, obviously the receiver who's been killing it lately. And uh, they get a fluky pass interference call, which brings the Broncos straight from their 20, 25 yard line all the way into field goal range without actually completing a pass or a run or anything like that. Essentially just gifting the Broncos with perfect position at the end of a game, uh, giving them a miracle per se to then just kick a game winning field goal and seal this game. But that's exactly what happened in this game. Chargers, Phillip Rivers, who played a pretty clean game, sends an interception to another defensive tackle. Um, he played a clean game, did throw a couple touchdown passes, had more touchdowns than interceptions, which is a win in AFC West games so far this season. But Drew Locke made some magic to start the game. He threw two touchdown passes, one being off the interception, following the interception of Phillip Rivers to put the Chargers in a 10 or 14 point hole, just like the Broncos did in the first game of the season and essentially just put the Chargers in a hole immediately that they can't seem to find a way to fight back and dig themselves out of. So yeah, that play, or excuse me, the pass interference call was something else. Now, depending who you are, uh, Al Riverum, who's like one of the head of officiating guys who they always kind of go to to explain murky calls, said essentially that because Casey Hayward impeded the path of Cortland Sutton to the ball um, and made contact, like just that alone is why it was a pass interference call. And honestly, that's just a bunch of crap because, I mean, and, and the main response to that, if you looked on social media, was then you could call that for every Hail Mary. You could call that for any last-ditch attempt at a long pass to get into the end zone for a walk-off touchdown uh, in the last God knows how many years. That's insane. And if you watch the play, it's a high-thrown ball to the outside, and it's going to land somewhere outside of the um, the right sideline that they're running up, or it's going to be just over their shoulder. So what you see is Casey Hayward has over-the-top coverage. He's got to step on Cortland Sutton. And when the ball gets close, they both put their heads up and to the right to track the ball over their shoulder. And Corlin Sutton runs into the back of Casey Hayward, which depending on, I guess, the rule, because no one knows what a rule is anymore. No one even knows what a pass interference rule is at all. That Casey Hayward, and he said this in his postgame comments, that he believes he has just as much right to the ball as Cortland Sutton does. So if they're both going for the ball and make contact, it's not automatically the defensive player's fault. If anything, if he's tracking the ball 
and Cortland Sutton makes the uh, active attempt to run through Casey Hayward to initiate the contact on his own, then how is that not offensive pass interference? I don't know uh, the you know the nitty gritty about this stuff, but at the end of the day, you cannot allow a whole game to be decided on a fluke thing like that on a call. That's way too ticky-tack, because that's what the ref did. The ref seemed way too eager to throw that flag. It was just the second they made contact with each other, that's what happened. It was as if the ref was just waiting. He already made up in his mind that if the uh, defenders made contact with that receiver, that it's an automatic. I don't know if he just felt bad um, or just, you know, maybe he's not a big Casey Hayward fan. Maybe he's a Denver fan and he saw just how bad Casey Hayward was playing. Obviously allowed the two touchdowns to Cortland Sutton. And he just thought, hey, let's ruin this guy's day even more and make it his fault, according to him, that uh, the Chargers lost this game. Because if you if you take a step back and you go, well, what happened? Well, two touchdowns and the penalty. Oh, this is all Casey Hayward's fault. It wasn't Casey Hayward's best game. It wasn't his best game by any means. This is a guy who, you know, after his first two years with the Chargers where he racked up a bunch of interceptions, he hasn't caught a lot of interceptions. I think he has two this year. He had zero last year. But he's consistently been the best in terms of yards allowed per completion. He's been a a number one corner shadowing uh, other number one wide receivers. And he's done a good job of doing it. It's stuff that doesn't really show up on the stat sheet that you see with Casey Hayward and why Pro Football Focus and other groups consider him to still be one of the top cornerbacks in the entire NFL. But this was not his best game. It really was not. And, you know, call it what it is. Casey Hayward's maybe getting old. He's not the most physically dominating person. He's not the greatest athlete. And he's getting dominated by big, imposing, physically dominating wide receivers. Cortland Sutton is 6'4", I believe over 220 pounds. He's a former first-round draft pick out of SMU. I believe this is his second year in the league. And uh, he's absolutely exploded. So um, that might be the case. Maybe Casey Hayward's old. Maybe he just isn't who he's been so far. He's getting by on his smarts, not his athletic ability. And I think when his smarts aren't 100%, 110%, uh, you know, on the ball during games, he's going to get dominated by these wide receivers who have, you know, half a foot on him, um, 20, 30 pounds on him, you know, Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to hear your guys' opinion on this thing as well, but uh, it was just a bad game. And maybe that's just what it was, a bad game by Casey Hayward, and he could play lights out through the next four games. I sure hope that is the case. It's officially December, and that means it's the holiday season, which means gifts. If you're looking for a great gift for someone in your life, consider Harry's Razors. It's awesome, it's practical, and it's very thoughtful. It's not dull, it's not a cliche like socks, wallets, or ties. And also, listeners of the show can get $5 off any Harry's Shave set by heading to harrys.com slash bluewire with free shipping that ends on December 16th, so you have to act now. It's a great deal for you and for him. Holiday sets start at just $20, and that's well within Secret Santa limits. And Harry's Blade refills are as low as $2 each, so your guy will save money over time. It comes ready to gift in a handsome holiday gift box, and your gift always gives back. 1% of each sale will be donated to charitable organizations. As a special offer for fans of the show, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off any shave set, including their limited edition holiday sets. When you go to harrys.com bluewire, 
Plus, you're getting free shipping. Each Harry's shaving set comes with a weighted handle with options to engrave, five blade razor cartridges, a foaming shave gel for a rich lather, a travel cover to protect your blades, and packaged in a handsome holiday gift box. Free shipping ends on December 16th, so again, act now. Just go to harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire. With the holiday rush here, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all those orders? Decide which carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates. Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door, and delivered in time for the holidays. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation, enter code BLUE. ShipStation. Make ship happen. But I've kind of been rambling on about that uh, tough game. Tough, tough game. Um, another fun fact before we kind of look into the stats and stuff. Uh, apparently, Philip Rivers was 89-12 and 12 when he has a QBR a rating of over 100. And in this game, he had like 106.2 or something like that. I mean, he was good. He completed 20-29 passes for 265 yards, two touchdowns, and that interception to the defensive tackle. So for the most part, he was efficient. He threw for a good amount of yards. He had the two touchdowns, although um, they were helped by, you know, yards at the catch ability from Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler. But it was a pretty solid game. I'd say Rivers' biggest knock in this game was how quick he is to, or to be totally honest, he just won't throw the ball away, and he takes sacks. Uh, he had on a, on a crucial play. It was actually the play that caused them to get sacked, and then that led to Michael Badgley's only missed field goal on the day. It was a 55-yarder, which obviously is within his distance. He's made a 59-yarder last year against the Cincinnati Bengals. But because Rivers you know, took the snap and didn't see anything, and instead of just throwing it away, he literally just tucked the ball and crumpled into the field position. He lost, I don't know, six seven yards something along those lines and that could have been the difference in this game you know instead of the chargers getting the lead or just tying it up at the end of the game maybe that was them taking the lead on a walk-off field goal and maybe the outcome would have been different right maybe they would have played defense a little differently i'm not entirely sure but that's going to be a big what if in this game so looking ahead at uh individual performances in this matchup like i said rivers 20 of 29 265 yards two touchdowns and an interception Melvin Gordon ran the ball really well. Again, he averaged pretty much uh, five yards on the dot, 20 carries for 99 yards, did not score in this one, but had two catches for 11 yards. Austin Eckler, nine carries for 16 yards. He was really bottled up, but through the air, as always, is where he does his damage. Four catches for 51 yards and the first touchdown of the day for the Bolts. Keenan Allen uh, got back in the end zone again, back-to-back week, six catches, 68 yards, and one touchdown. His touchdown was a nifty like 30-plus yard catch and run which was awesome to see from him. He took a tumble. I think he somersaulted over uh, a player to make sure he got in the end zone. It was great to see that. Mike Williams led the team in receiving with 117 yards, five catches on the day, still has not found the end zone. But what's crazy is Williams is averaging an amazing 20.5 yards per catch. And his one-handed catch 
Uh, it was, God, it was like 54, I think it was, something like that. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. It was a one-handed catch that he had to extend, like he had to turn back over his outside shoulder, reach out, and just snagged it over his defender's shoulder. It was amazing. Go watch the video if you haven't. He's on pace to finish with 1,037 yards. It would be the first time he's able to go over 1,000 yards in his career. It still would be nice if he got into the end zone. Um, Keenan Allen is on pace right now for 1,152 yards. I believe if he gets one more touchdown, he'll get back to six, which he hasn't been able to beat six uh, touchdowns in a season since his rookie year where he had eight. It really would be really cool to see him kind of break out of that little bit. Six touchdowns is fine, but I think one of the biggest knocks against him is uh, getting more in that touchdown department. Uh, he, he's kind of been a weirdly Julio-esque, uh, you know, when Julio was in that scoring drought as well. Uh, Hunter Henry, this is something that was super aggravating, obviously. Hunter Henry's been insane since he's come back from his injury. He's been Rivers' most trusty weapon uh, and target on third downs, money downs, and stuff like that. But he only had two catches for 10 yards in this one. And if you watch the game, if you're anything like me, something just felt different or like something was missing, right? And it was Hunter Henry just showing up. Um, his final stats were, he only had three targets and caught two of them for 10 yards. Like that's, he's not able to make a play. He's not able to make an impact in this game. If they don't feed him the rock, I don't know. I'll have to go watch the film to see if Hunter Henry just wasn't open. If they were making a point to stop Hunter Henry, I'm not entirely sure, but it's just weird to think that he was behind, he was behind Eckler, Keenan and Williams and targets. He was tied with Melvin Gordon with three targets. Um, which is understandable, but I think he should be up there over Eckler. I think he should be up there over Mike Williams. But in a game, obviously, when you're down, they're going to pelt your deep threat, Mike Williams. He obviously led the team with uh, seven targets. I don't know. It's tough. Uh, Hunter Henry's been so good. It's just tough to see him uh, not do anything because usually when he does something, the team wins. I don't know. Um, But that's just me, big Hunter Henry fan. Defensive side of the ball, uh, cornerback Brandon Faison, who was starting in place of suspended cornerback Michael Davis, led the team in tackles, had nine and a half a tackle for loss. Drew Tranquil was second behind him with seven stops, three tackles for loss, led the team uh, in that category. Tranquil played a solid game just outside of roughing the passer, um, not passer, the kicker. You know, he, he he's better than that. He knows it, and I just think he took a bad angle. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, I'm sure it's probably never going to happen again because that's the type of player he is. He will go ahead and fix that issue. Thomas Davis, six tackles. Desmond King, five. Joey Bosa. This is one of the biggest things as well. Bosa, I think he was pretty much bottled up in the first game with Denver, if I'm correct. Let me kind of go back here and look. But uh, in this matchup, he had one tackle. He had half a tackle for loss. Joey Bosa is second on the team in total tackles this season, and he's been a force against the run, the pass. He's been all around their best defender. That's weird. Like, the Broncos schemed him out of the defense, and it just worked, and he wasn't able to find a way out of it. Um, In their first matchup, just so we can kind of compare here, uh, Bosa had five tackles, a sack, and two tackles for a loss in their first game against Denver. So he made an impact. I'm not sure what they did differently, but uh, he killed it. They killed him, pardon me. Um, Melvin Ingram, three tackles, one tackle for loss. Derwin James came back, four tackles, one tackle for loss. 
And Derwin looked good. Uh, there wasn't anything egregious he did. He didn't allow any big plays. Um, he was uh, a force and run support. The first third down of the game, they rushed Derwin James. He got a ton of pressure, and um, they completed a pass, but Adrian Phillips was able to tackle the guy um, short of the sticks. It was awesome to see those two make an impact, especially that early in the game, together on the same play. It's fantastic. Uh, Denzel Perryman had an interception um, on the day and four total tackles. Um, and then, of course, Badgley missed that 55-yarder. Otherwise, he was two of three on the day. Um, looking at the Denver Broncos. And, you know, Locke, I thought Locke's numbers actually were a little bit better than they ended up being just because of how well it seemed he was doing to start the game. But he finished 18 of 28 for just 134 yards, the two touchdowns to Cortland Sutton and, and that interception. Philip Lindsay, 17 carries for 58 yards. Royce Freeman, five rushes for just 11. And Cortland Sutton had four catches for 74 yards and two touchdowns. Now, you look at some of these offensive stats, and the Broncos didn't really do anything, right? Um, it was the self-inflicted wounds by the Chargers. It wasn't so much that Denver didn't beat the Chargers. The Chargers beat the Chargers. So um, that, again, is, is just one of the biggest themes this season. The Chargers have, I think I just saw this tweet. Uh, let me go see if I can find it real quick. Um, but I think it was from like a, an account called Chargers Country where the Chargers have the fourth best total defense um, in the league right now. Let's see if I can find it. Um, yeah, the fourth ranked defense giving up only 309.2 yards per game. Number one is the Niners. Number two is the Patriots. Uh, number three is the Bills. And then the Chargers are at 309.2 ahead of the Steelers at five who do uh, or allow 317.2. Uh, the Chargers have the fourth best pass defense and the 18th best run defense. So uh, run defense is more towards the middle than the bottom, which is good to see because they've been horrendous at stopping the run over the last couple of years. And that pass defense is awesome. It is phenomenal. They've played some weak quarterbacks, but uh, yeah, but they we, they've shown what they can do against good quarterbacks as well. Obviously, I, I keep looking back at you know the the Packers game and can't believe they beat the Packers, um, but they did, they did, and they were able to bottle up Aaron Rodgers and they were able that offense went you know sparkling and with flying colors through that defense, and uh, that was obviously the most complete game the Chargers played. I wish we could see more of that. Um, defensively for the Broncos, Todd Davis had a game high ten tackles. Alexander Johnson, nine tackles, two tackles for loss. He's the guy who, whenever he had a tackle for loss, he would crouch down like a velociraptor and do his little dinosaur thing, which was kind of annoying. But if they don't want him to do that, then how about you don't get tackled for loss um, by Alexander Johnson. Cornerback Isaac uh, Yudon, uh, he's a second-year player at Boston College, seven total tackles. Derek Wolf, five tackles, had two sacks on Phillip Rivers. Justin Simmons, their wonderful young safety, five tackles and half a tackle for loss. And McManus was phenomenal. Made all the kicks he had to. He made the game-winning 53-yard uh, field goal. It was perfect down the middle after that pass interference call. Um, those are the stats from the game. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal game um, by both teams. It just sucks that, again, Chargers found a way to lose. Finishing up, as always, we're going to go over uh, fairly quickly just because this show's gotten a little long. And uh, you guys need to go on with your day. But we're going to go over this week's Surge or Static players. And uh, this was a little tough. It's always kind of tough to pick, you know, good players when um, the team loses. And bad players when it wasn't like a ton of egregious stuff going on. It was just, um, you know, maybe just one or two people. But for our Surge players, 
Um, starting this thing off with running back Austin Eckler. And essentially, Eckler continues to be, week in and week out, the team's best and most consistent player on the offensive side of the ball. At this point, he's squarely in kind of like the Danny Woodhead role, which has been extremely productive during the team's recent down years. Um, over the last three games, Eckler is averaging four catches and 63 yards receiving to go along with a pair of scores. He is still second on the team with 69 catches, but has now fallen behind Mike Williams for third in receiving yards with 718. His current pace is uh, going to set him at 957 yards receiving and could possibly lead the team in receiving touchdown while he's at it. He does have seven right now. Keenan Allen's the next closest behind him with five, but uh, he still completed or accomplished something first time in his career. He has uh, over a thousand yards receiving and he had not receiving, excuse me, a thousand total yards from scrimmage and 10 touchdowns. So congratulations to Austin Eckler on such a feat. That's amazing. And hopefully he can keep doing that for the next couple of years for the foreseeable future. I'd be down with any of that. Secondly, wide receiver Keenan Allen got back in the end zone with uh, this week, which brings the season total to five with just four games left in the season. The seven-year veteran has totaled six touchdown catches in each of the last two seasons and hasn't broken past that mark since his rookie season when he caught eight. After starting the year with three touchdowns in three games, the idea of surpassing six on the year seemed like a walk in the park. Well, he succumbed to a scoring drought where he went seven straight games without finding the end zone between week three against the Texans and ending against the Chiefs in Mexico City. With four games left to play, there is still a solid chance Allen can bypass that mark of six, but the play of Phillip Rivers is going to have a big say in whether or not it comes down to the wire. Thirdly, you got to put down Mike Williams here. He's been something else recently. Uh, I mean, he's, he's really averaging at least one 45 to 50 yard catch a game. And it's usually him catching it in some insane manner. It's usually with one hand or making this complete, fully extended catch, um, you know, putting his body in harm's way. He's just found a way to be, to me, Rivers is a new Vincent Jackson. And I only wish those types of catches could end in the end zone. Maybe once, maybe twice, at least give me something. The third year receiver is averaging an insane 20.5 yards per catch this season, like I mentioned earlier. And he's on pace, again, to set a career high with over 1,000 yards at 1,037. And that would shatter his receiving total from 2018. As of right now, he's, uh, I think he's only fourth on the team in catches with 38, might be third. Um, but he's second on the team with 778 yards and still has not found the end zone. Now, for static, I actually just have two players. Um, the first is Phillip Rivers. And yes, he played a clean game, but... He made too many, like, key mistakes. And obviously the first one was an interception to a defensive tackle. Should have threw it in the dirt. I'm not sure what he was thinking. Uh, it led to points for the Broncos. It helped build that hole. It helped dig the Chargers into that hole that they couldn't find their way out of. And secondly, I mentioned it earlier, the hole, he crumples under pressure. He, uh, he literally just crumples. And it's the most aggravating thing because veteran quarterbacks don't do that. You don't see Brady do it. You don't see Rodgers, but that may have to do with his athletic ability. You don't see Breeze do it. You do not see these veteran, you know, best quarterbacks to ever play for their team type players do stuff like Rivers does. And it's so obvious and it puts the Chargers behind the sticks far too often. I, I mentioned it as well that it was the kind of the reason why... Badgley maybe missed that kick. Yeah, 55 yards is within his range, but that's still a long kick. The chances of that going in, especially for a second-year undrafted player, 
are not super high, especially again, in a hostile environment like Mile High, the the atmosphere is different, the altitude messes with things, um, it would have been probably a 50 or less yarder, at least, if Philip Rivers didn't crumple in the pocket. So I put him on this list because even when he does something else right, or at least the normal stuff right, you know, don't throw a bunch of interceptions, play pretty cleanly, he still does other things to really set the team back. So yes, Philip Rivers is on the static list. Casey Hayward, you got to put Casey Hayward on here, um, regardless if the the last play was not his fault. Um, him allowing the two touchdown passes, the early ones to Cortland Sutton, really kind of sealed the deal. And to be honest, I think Cortland Sutton's first touchdown was not a catch. I thought it was obvious from an obvious camera angle that Cortland made the catch, but when he contacted the ground, the ball shifted. His hand wasn't completely under the ball. The ball shifted and touched the ground. So no, I think in plenty of other games, they've called those plays an incomplete catch, and I don't understand why they did it in this week's game. But oh well, he still got beat. Cortland made a great play, but again, it's just not what I expect from uh, our top cornerback. The second one was stupid as well. Just flat out lost Cortland Sutton. Drew Locke escaped the pocket and just made a good play. Again, I don't expect our top cornerback to do that. I'll give him one of those touchdowns. I will not give him both of those touchdowns. It was not a good game for Casey Hayward. It might have just been that. Just simply a bad game. I really, really hope it is. But for those reasons alone, Casey Hayward had to be put on the static list. And... I'm actually just going to stick with those two. Uh, I really don't want to have to like nitpick about getting a third person on here. If, if their play didn't scream static to me, um, I'm just going to keep them off. So uh, that's the surge or static week. This, or excuse me, this that's the surge or static list this week uh, for week 13. And with that, that ends today's show, guys. Really appreciate you coming out. I do apologize for this getting out a little bit later. Um, technical issues. I had to go get a new cord that connects my mic to my laptop. Uh, I'm not sure how it got bent. It might have been you know, one of my cats messing around with it. So I do apologize, but I'm going to go ahead and get this thing out there for you guys. appreciate it as always. Um, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at ZoneTracks. That's spelled Z-O-N-E-T-R-A-C-K-S. Boltsfromtheblue.com. Head over there and check that out. The podcast Twitter handle at PB Review Podcast. As always, this has been your host, Michael Peterson, and I will see you guys later this week. <laughs>